All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Barely Backcountry Podcast. We've got another guest on today. I have Kellen Morgan on from Inside Out Precision. He's an archer. He works up at the Bow Rack up in Springfield, Oregon. Like I said, he runs Inside Out Precision, which is a great channel on YouTube, and they have an Instagram as well if you're into, you know, archery at all, bow tuning, anything like that. But we had a really, really good conversation. So if you really kind of geek out over archery stuff like I do, um, you'll probably really enjoy this podcast. Uh, but real quick before we get into it, if you want to check out the podcast social media, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram, and my personal is c dillashaw on instagram so without any further ado i'll get you into the conversation with kellen all right guys we've got another episode of barely backcountry podcast on we got kellen morgan on from inside out precision and the bow rack up in oregon um he's an outdoorsman bow tech uh, all that fun stuff but kellen if you want to introduce yourself and then we'll get started uh yeah so like like you said my name's kellen um been been involved in archery for a long time it's just one of those passions of mine that never seemed to <laughs> go away um you know i've been shooting since i was 11 uh done yeah been everywhere with it between hunting and competitive stuff uh and i'm 35 now so i i don't know i've been just something i've been around my whole life and um yeah appreciate you having me on the podcast it's always fun to talk bows and arrows so absolutely yeah so what uh what kind of made you want to get into archery when you were a kid uh so the the first two deer I killed were with a rifle, um, and you know my dad would pull me out of school. He'd be like, "All right, we're going deer hunting for a week," and he'd pull me out of school. And two years in a row, I shot a deer opening morning, and then my dad would make me go back to school. <laughs> I was like, "Well, let's make, <laughs> let's make this a little harder." <laughs> like, yeah. I want my full week. Um, you know that that yeah, turned yeah. into a lot of weeks sometimes uh, to actually get it done. Um, but it was just something that always like. I don't know. It just fascinated me. Like I remember as a kid watching, like, I mean, this, I might be dating myself here, but you know, like TNN outdoors was, uh, at least here it was channel number 28. And it was just sitting in tree stands, shooting deer, like shooting turkeys. Turkeys was, that was one of the first things I wanted to kill. Um, I don't know why I just thought like, Oh, if I, you know, I just want to shoot one of those stupid birds with a bow. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what got me interested. I remember, uh, you know, I asked for a bow for Christmas. Um, I got my first, like, real bow. I had little, you know, like, just dinky things when I was a kid. But um, I got my first real bow when I was uh, going, almost 12 years old. Um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of got obsessed with it. I mean, I it's just one of those itches you keep scratching, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So did you grow up in Oregon or did you move to Oregon later? Yeah, I did. I grew up here. Um, so I live in Eugene, uh, when the bow rack where I work, that's in Springfield. And it's, I mean, it's basically the same town. There's just a river that separates us. So you just go over the bridge and you're in Springfield. Um, so yeah, been, been here all but like four years of my life when I was, uh, I went to college in Virginia. Um, and yeah, came back here and kind of one of those deals where I thought like, Oh yeah, I'll be back here. You know, I was like 22 and I was like, Oh, I'll be back here for a little bit and then I'm going to move to wherever. And then, you know, here I am <laughs> 15 years later, so still hanging out. So, so growing up, it was all like hunting blacktail and all that. You guys don't have too many else, too much else, right? Other than kind of blacktail and Roosevelt's. Uh, well, no, I mean, we got, 
we have, bunch, you know, there's a lot of elk here. Uh, we have Rocky Mountain and Roosevelt. Uh, all the Rocky Mountain are on the kind of the east side of the Cascades. Roosevelt's on the west. Um, and kind of the same thing for deer. Like on the west side of the Cascades, it's predominantly blacktail. Uh, but we got a lot of mule deer. Well, I shouldn't say a lot of mule deer. We have mule deer. Um, that's pretty much from the Cascades to Idaho. That's, you know, it's all muley country. Um, and then recently there's actually been a pretty big growth in, uh, in whitetail kind of over on the Idaho border. Um, guys are killing some pretty, like pretty outstanding whitetail bucks. And it's weird cause they're, they're in the mountains. It's not like, you know, it's not like back East where they're shooting them out of cornfields. Like they're, you know, totally free range public land, like mountain whitetail, which is kind of wild. Yeah, it's crazy to see. I did a, or at least attempted to go on a spring bear hunt in Idaho a few years ago with a friend, and it didn't work out too well for the hunting. But yeah, it was weird seeing whitetails like just in giant, super steep mountains. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not what you're used to seeing. You know? Yeah, for sure. Oh, cool. They're a hardy deer, man. I mean, they, you know, I think they kind of get a bad rap as everybody thinks they're just these, you know, farm deer and whatever. But it's like. You know, you look at where they live up in like Saskatchewan and Ontario and whatnot. It's like, I mean, it gets down to like you know negative thirty degrees up there sometimes, yeah. and those deer can survive. Like they're they're a tough deer. Absolutely, yeah. So then, so you said you went off to college for a little bit and then came back, and that's kind of when you started at the bow rack. Or, uh, yeah. Well, when I got back from school, um, so I did archery in college at James Madison University. Um, and when I got back from school, like I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It's kind of one of those things like I, you know, I was a political science major, so not, not a whole lot of like skill set. Uh, and I mean, I, it's the, the classic thing. Like I was, you know, I worked some restaurant jobs and just kind of some odd jobs here and there. Um, and then, uh, Wayne, the owner of the bow rack who, you know, I, so kind of a little backstory on Wayne. Um, you know, I, when I went into the boat rack for the first time, I, I didn't realize like where I was going into, you know, this was back in 2000, uh, gosh, 2001, I guess, 2000, 2001. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know like how much he was going to end up being a part of my life in terms of my, you know, my archery and my, my career. Um, but he ended up being, you know, I, we always joke. He's, he's like my stepdad, basically. Um, he really took me under his wing. He has a son who's, my same age, Nathan Endicott, who has a lot of really awesome films on YouTube, by the way, if anybody wants to watch. Um, but we were the same age, and, and, you know, Wayne dragged me around all over the place, and he's a hardcore backcountry bow hunter guy. You know, he's not driving roads, bugling out of the truck. Like, um, he's, he's one of the best hunters I know, one of the best shooters I know. Um, and so I'd been back in town for, you know, a couple of years doing odd things, and he just came to me one day, and he's like, hey, we just had a guy quit. I don't know if you are interested at all, but you know, you know, bows and arrows, I seems like a good fit. If you want to start working here, you're, you know, you're welcome to. And so I was like, all right, well, let's do it. Um, so I got plugged in with him and, uh, yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, he's such a wealth of knowledge and, uh, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of what I've learned in terms of like working on bows, um, has come from Wayne. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I started there. What was that? That's almost eight years ago now. Um, and yeah, been there ever since. Nice. So through all that, like kind of growing up shooting and all that, were you just into the shooting for hunting or did you ever do any like competitive stuff on top of it or? 
Oh, I went, dude, I went, I went deep down the comp competitive hole. Um, I, so yeah, I kind of, like I said, when I started shooting, like I, I would go to the bow rack. So from the time I was, um, like 12 to 17, so basically all of middle school and high school, like every day I would get out of school and before I could drive, my mom would drive me to the bow rack. So I'd get there at like, you know, three o'clock and I would just shoot till they closed. So which was at six. So I'd shoot for like three hours, five or six days a week. Um, and originally it was just to get good enough. I wanted to hit a turkey in the head. Like that's, that was my goal is like, I want to, you know, headshot a, <laughs> a turkey. Um, then I started getting involved in some of the leagues there and found out about target archery. Um, and it was just, you know, it was one of those things where it was, it, it was such an awesome outlet to be competitive where you didn't have to necessarily be athletic. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that have a competitive side to them, but you know, they're not the most athletic person in the world. And I'm not saying I couldn't have played other sports, but for me, it was just, I loved what I loved about archery was, you know, you didn't have to rely on a team. Like you relied on yourself. Like at the end of the day, if you won or lost, that was because you did that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I traveled all over the place, you know, went to a bunch of national tournaments, did well there. Um, and yeah, I, you know, target archery is one of those things where you really start learning the ins and outs of, of tuning and, uh, just, just all the little nuances of archery that, and all that translates into, into hunting. Um, and so, yeah, I did a lot of, a lot of target archery, uh, pretty much after college, I kind of quit that. I mean, I was looking at the pro circuit and stuff. I, in fact, one of the guys that, uh, was on my team in, uh, at JMU, his name's Brayden, Brayden, uh, Gallantine, And I think he's still like number two or three in the world, uh, in world archery. Um, he's just an absolute animal. He's won everything there is to win. And, you know, I was looking at his lifestyle and it's like, Oh my gosh, like you, you know, you're, you're gone nine months out of the year. Like you're traveling all over the place and there's just not a lot of, if you want to make a living at it, you have to do that. You have to go, you have to travel everywhere. There's just not a lot of money in professional archery. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of, I still shoot a lot. I shoot a lot of targets and, you know, do local tournaments and stuff. But, um, my, my traveling days are kind of coming to, <laughs> I've got, come to a halt over the years. So, were you more into the indoor stuff or the outdoor? I like outdoor. I indoor is like, ugh, I, I, I hate it. I love to hate it. <laughs> um, yeah, I like outdoor. Uh, field archery is a lot of fun. Uh, my favorite style is like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but redding every year. Um, that's a, a huge tournament, and it's you know two arrows, mark yardage, but it's 3D targets with like orange dots painted on them. Um, and yeah, that's, that's my favorite style. It's just indoor is so tough because like any, anymore, like you pretty much have to shoot a perfect score to be competitive, um, which gets in your head right away. And then when you miss, you turn around and you look at the same target. You can literally see the hole of the arrow that you just missed. And mentally, like that's a really tough thing to get over. Um, in outdoor archery, like if you have a bad target, or, you know, a bad, a bad shot, like the next target, it's a, it's a different yardage. It's a new setting. It's a whole, it's a whole different thing. It's so much easier to hit that reset button. And for me, it's just a lot more comfortable. Um, you know, indoors, just like stressful <laughs> the whole time. Outdoors, a lot more fun. It just seems a little more laid back. Um, 
So yeah, I, I definitely prefer outdoor. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'd like I haven't done too much competition stuff, but I'm starting to get more into it. Hopefully, more in the upcoming year. But yeah, shooting just like shooting for fun, you know, indoors. Like if I'll shoot, you know, two three ends in a row where I'm just you know an X every time, then you start building up that panic. And like even though I know I don't have the skill set right now to shoot a three hundred. Like, oh, maybe yeah. this is the time. Maybe this is it. And then you shoot that one nine. Yep. And then you then you just Dude. start frustrated the whole time. I can't tell you how many points I've dropped on the last or second to last in. Yep. <laughs> like, it's so annoying. Because that, that, that's exactly it is, you know, it's the mental side of things. As soon as you, as soon as you realize like, oh, like, oh, I could do this. Like, I might shoot a 30X, which I've yeah. never shot a 30X. Best I ever shot was 28. But on that 28, like, I was clean through seven rounds uh-huh. and then i realized like oh my god i might be able to do it and i dropped two x's on the last or the second to last end <laughs> so it's yep. like you know it's a yeah it's it's a whole mental thing i mean i think there's a lot of people out there that um have the ability to shoot clean scores on a pretty regular basis the difference yeah. between the people that do and don't is the mental side of things and you know that's that's to be honest, that's something that, like, the tournament game is just a, it's a whole different ball game in terms of, uh, you know, how you prepare. Uh, and you listen to these professional archers when they shoot these awesome scores, and they, they always say the same thing. It's always like, yeah, I stuck to my mental program really well. Uh, and that's that's a hard thing to do. You know, I think a lot of people start trying too hard, or they start doing something different than what got them there in the first place. Um, and, yeah, it's just a target archery is a whole different deal than bow hunting <laughs> yeah definitely definitely cool so at what point did you kind of want to start what has now become inside out precision start your own brand start educating people you know on archery yeah uh it's a good question so um so one of my best friends um i mean we grew up two houses down from each other i've known him since i was seven years old uh, his name's gavin calciano and uh he so he was in grad school down at UCLA, um, and kind of his side hustle while he was in school was he managed these different YouTube channels, um, and they were kind of you know clickbaity things like top ten most haunted houses in LA this and that. Um, but you know I had never really looked at YouTube as like a, um, and I still really don't. I mean we we make a little bit of money, but I never looked at it as like a, a source of income. But he was actually making pretty good money like managing these. YouTube channels and uh he was up up here for I think it was Christmas break, whatever that was, like four years ago. Um and he's like, Hey, like you have all this knowledge, like you're always talking about all this stuff, you have all this knowledge. Have you ever thought about starting a YouTube channel? And I, you know, I I had never even considered it. Um, but after he kind of put that like, you know, that seed in my brain, I started thinking, you know, there's not a lot of stuff out there where it's just unbiased um informational stuff like there's a ton of hunting channels obviously you know there's a lot of people that are sponsored um and they're going to tell you like you need this bow and you need this arrow and you need this broadhead and you need this you know xyz um but there's not a lot of stuff out there just that's unbiased information on the bows and then also you know like like coaching basically like how you know what's a good anchor point what's a good this and that and so I started kind of looking through YouTube and, and searching these different channels. And, uh, 
I was just like, yeah, I guess there's a, I guess there's a spot for this. I mean, I, who knows if it'll do well or tank, but it can't, it's not like you lose money with YouTube, right? Like there's really no risk in starting a channel. Um, so yeah, we started and we were kind of surprised at how fast it started to take off. And, you know, I credit that a lot. Wayne and Lisa, the owners of the rack, you know, they're, they're awesome. They let me use all their equipment and, um, you know, that's, that's worked out really well. Um, but that was my big thing. It was just like getting information out there without just unbiased information is, is my biggest thing. And that's why, you know, I've, we've, we've had people come to us, companies come to us and, you know, that want to sponsor the channel. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that because it, you know, if Matthews sponsors the channel, I can't review a PSC and tell you it's a nice bow, <laughs> you know? Um, and there's so much good stuff out there now. And then there's also a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of gimmicky things. And, you know, I, I want to try to keep people away from that. Um, not saying that I know everything cause I I'll be the first to admit, you know, there's, I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always down to learn. Um, but I just wanted to get information out there. And, um, so far the, the response seems to be pretty good. So, yeah, absolutely. I enjoy watching watching your stuff i've definitely learned a lot from it i would say probably the two things that kind of pop up most often in my feed from you are like your bow reviews and then also like your tuning stuff yeah um, so when you're talking about bow reviews real quick when you're looking at a brand new bow that just comes out what are kind of the things you're you're going through what's your checklist of you know things you want to pay attention to on a bow yeah so i mean for example like PSE just came out with that new you know mock 34 um the things I look for in a bow are, and I think this comes with time, you know, shooting different bows, but um, there's certain characteristics of whatever brand it is who's making a bow that, that I tend to gravitate towards. Um, so, you know, I like a, a fairly forgiving bow, and by that I mean a bow with a brace height somewhere between like six and three quarters and seven and a quarter. Um, so I want to... You know, I'm looking, I don't really care about speed, but I, I want to look at how a bow aims, um, what the draw cycle is like, uh, noise on a target bow noise means nothing. Um, but on a hunting bow, you know, noise is, is a pretty big factor. Um, I've had, you know, some bows that I really, really liked the way they held and aimed and felt my hand, but then you shoot them and it sounds like 22 is going off. Um, and for hunting that, you know, that can be a problem. Uh, but like I, I tell everybody that comes in to the shop that is, you know, looking for a bow, uh, I always use the analogy that, you know, a bow is kind of like a pair of hiking boots. Um, there's a lot of really high quality bows out there. Uh, but one is going to feel better to you as an individual than another. Like just because I like a Matthews or I like a Hoyt doesn't mean that, that that's going to be the bow for you. Um, so I, I encourage people to, to shoot as many different ones as they can when they come in the shop. Um, but from a tech standpoint, like tunability is a big one for me and pretty much every bow now, you know, has a system to tune where you don't have to just move the rest right and left, um, and up and down, but some are much easier than others. Um, using PSE as an example. I mean, I, I have an EVL 34. I love that bow. We, <laughs> We sold a lot of PSDs the last couple of years, but they are a pain in the ass to tune. Uh, not, it's not hard. It's just very time consuming. Like their shim system was awful. And I think they, 
you know, they really listened to the consumers. And this year they came out, you know, with an actual shim system that's similar to like Hoyt and Matthews and, and some of the others. So, um, but that's a big one when you're, you know, as a tech, you know, like in, in July and August, we got 35, 40 people waiting around to get their stuff tuned. When it takes me 25 minutes to pull a bow apart, just to move the cams, you know, three thirty seconds of an inch to the left like that, that can be a problem. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At the shop I work at, PSC is one of the only brands we so I don't get to use to work on them too much, but the few times I have had to work on on them with that old shim system. Yeah, they were like you said, they're a pain in the ass. The new one seems very, very nice. I haven't had a chance to mess around with that one too much, but it seems seems pretty sweet. Yeah, they just clip on, clip off. Which yeah. the, the thing that worries me about that is, you know, anything that clips on can fall off. <laughs> yeah. uh, and if that falls off while you're hunting, you're going to be in a world of hurt. But it was the bolted axle this year versus, you know, the normal C-clip axle. So you should be able to, you know, once you get it on there, just cinch those axle screws down and hopefully they don't, they don't move at all. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's – everybody's innovating. Everybody's trying to – do something new um and yeah it seems like it should be a good system so we'll we'll see what happens yeah over the years of doing all these bow reviews are there a few bows that stand out to you as just kind of being some of the best bows you've ever shot even though the traverse ones that are coming out yeah the matthews traverse i stay i will stand by i will die on that sword any day um it was kind of a sleeper like that was the same year that the verdicts came out and everybody's all hyped about the verdicts um, I, I think the Traverse to this day is still one of the sweetest shooting bows I've ever had in my hands. Um, I really like the PSE, but like the EVL 34, I think like that's, again, I think that bow just shoots really, really well. Um, man, going back a little bit, like the, the Matthews switchback, I mean, that's old. We're talking like, <laughs> like 2004, but those things, they still just shoot so sweet and they tune so well. And, yeah. um, you know, I didn't review that bow cause I was like 13 when it came out. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you. So the shop I work at now, we build custom strings here in house and that Matthews switchback, any of the ones kind of in there, the switchback was it the XT or the yeah. long draw switchback, switchback XT outback, all those. Yeah. The any of like the old solo cam matches, those are bows that I build custom yeah. strings for. Yeah, I uh, I really like the so Hoyt's Turbo series has always got kind of a bad rap. It's like, oh, you're just building speedboat. The Nitrum Turbo, which I think came out in like 2015, mm-hmm. like that, that's probably one of the best speedbows that's ever been made. Um, I really, really like last year, I was really impressed with uh. Hoyt's carbon series, like the well, both of them, aluminum and carbon. But I think, I think Hoyt built the best carbon bow that they've ever built last year in the RX7, which yeah. is why changing it this year. Exactly. <laughs> like yeah. uh, I was really, I mean, so where Hoyt kind of fell behind there was, you know, Matthews comes out every year between November 15th and November 18th, like somewhere in that, you know, three days they're going to drop the new bows. Uh, Hoyt got a little bit behind in their production. Um, they didn't, they didn't launch until January last year. Um, yeah. so I had already basically picked out my bow. Like I'm shooting the V3 X 33. Uh, and, but when I got that, 
RX7 Ultra in my hands, I was like, oh, <laughs> like this thing is nice. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's yeah, I think that's that's one of my favorites, at least in the last like couple of years. Uh, but all that being said, there's a lot of really nice bows on the market. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything ever like inherently better from one brand to the other. It comes back to what's going to feel best in in your hands. You know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's what I tell everybody. Like, I mean, more times than not, somebody comes into the shop and they know exactly, or they think they know what bow they want. Whether you know, they're just getting an archery, so all they know is you know Cam Haynes and they want a Hoyt, or they follow yeah. you know Chris B and they want a Matthews or John yeah. Dudley and they want a PSC or whatever. And then sometimes more often than not, they might end up walking out with a different bow brand than they even thought they would want. Like, yeah. So. Yeah, that happens a lot. Um, you know, I that's why once we get people fitted, uh, we I encourage them to shoot every bow. You know, we'll set them at the same draw length, same poundage, all that, and just let them shoot it. Um, because yeah, sometimes you'll pick up that bow where it's like it's more like the bow picks you instead of you picking the bow. It's like oh, this this bow just gets me, <laughs> you know. Um, and even even in the different price points, I mean, I've we've had guys that come in that are like dead set on buying you know, like a, a carbon Hoyt and then they shoot like the Torx and they're like, well, I shoot like the Torx feels more comfortable and it's like a thousand dollars cheaper. <laughs> like, you know, then they'll go with that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to the, the bow you're going to shoot. It's, it's just all personal preference. So, yeah. Cool. So what are what are you shooting now? Have you kind of made your decision? I guess most of the new bows haven't launched yet. So what have you been shooting for the last year? Yeah, so I've been shooting the the V3X 33 from Matthews. Um, the like couple of things that I really like about it is the uh, the riser length. So you know, with the angle of Matthews limbs, um, you know they're it's a past parallel limb design. Uh, so on a 33 inch bow, the riser is almost as long as my 40 inch target bow. Uh, and what that gives me is just an extremely steady hold. Um, you know, there's a reason all target bows are like at least 36 or 37 inches, like a 36 inch target bow is a short target bow. Um, and that's because in target archery, the, the name of the game is accuracy and you can only be as accurate as you can aim. And with a longer axle to axle, generally you get a longer riser and that's what really, you know, helps with aiming um so on the v3x 33 you know it's it's riser is like 32 and a half inches and it's a 33 inch bow <laughs> um so it it aims like a target bow uh, but has the speed of a hunting bow uh, it's, it's quiet it's smooth um you know i just for me it's just it's a great fit um like i said i i like a little bit longer axle to axle bows um out west here you know, we're, I never hunt out of a tree stand or a ground blind. I'm always on the ground. Um, and, you know, 40, 50, 60 yard shots are not uncommon. So I want a bow that's going to settle on target really well. Um, you know, give me that forgiveness that some of the shorter bows don't. And then one of the biggest things when it comes to axle to axle length for me is just the, the string angle at full draw. Um, I have a 30 inch draw length. So, you know, it, like when Matthews came out with the, what was that last year? The 27 or the V3? Yeah, the V3. Yeah, when I come back and, and anchor, 
like even at a 30 inch draw length, or I guess that was 29 and a half. But when I came back and anchored, you know, I had to duck my head so hard just to even get my nose on the string. Um, but it's just uncomfortable for me to shoot. And I don't know if there's any science behind it, but I've always said that when your draw length exceeds the axle to axle length on a bow, like stuff, stuff gets squirrely real quick. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had the triax and that bow just, I was just always fighting it, you know? Um, and I just thought I was shooting crappy and then the traverse came out and I got the traverse and I just started pounding again. And I was like, Oh, it's just cause the bow's tiny, <laughs> like, yeah. you know? Um, so for me, that's, you know, that's something I look for is, is that spec and every year companies have different things. Like I, I didn't shoot when I got the traverse, I didn't buy a new or shoot a new Matthews until this year because they didn't make a bow that was in the spec range that I like. Um, and I still think the traverse, I don't know. I, I might shoot it better than the V3X. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that bow just, I don't know. It's just one of those bows where I pick it up and I just, whatever I point it at, I hit. So, Nice. Yeah. So I guess with all the new bows coming out here pretty soon. So once you make your decision on what you're going to shoot for next year, what's kind of once you pull that bow out of the box, what are the steps you're going through as far as setting it up, tuning, all that? Yeah. So, man, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll. So my my basic process is. You know, I put the rest on, put the side on. Uh, I just eyeball the D-loop. I mean, everybody, you know, likes to put levels on the arrow and make sure it's perfectly 90 degrees. Rarely does your D-loop ever end up perfectly 90 degrees from the rest. Um, So I just eyeball it. Um, I don't do my knock ties in, you know, in between the the knots on the D-loop until after I've got a a pretty good hole-through paper. Um, But I will... You know, I so I go back and forth bear shaft tuning. Um, it can tell you a lot about your arrow spine, which I think is is really useful. Um, so I will usually like when I'm tuning. You know, I'll, I'll have a bear shaft and a fletch shaft, and first I get a bullet hole with the bear shaft, and then I'll shoot the fletch shaft. Um, if I can get both of those to shoot a bullet hole from ten to or man, not even that, like, I don't know, seven to 12 yards from the paper. Um, in my experience, usually your broadheads are going to fly right with your field tips. Cause that, you know, if you can get a bear shaft to shoot straight, <laughs> you, you know, the bows tuned really well. Um, and I know there's controversy on that. Like Tim Gillingham just did a video where he's like, this is why I don't like bear shaft tuning, uh, where, you know, he had a perfect bullet hole, the bear shaft, and then put his veins on there, and he was ripping like I don't know, probably three eighths of an inch tail low. Um, but in my experience, when I can get you know a bear shaft and a fletch shaft shooting a good hole through paper, impacting the same downrange, my broadheads always hit with my field points. Um, but you know, everybody's got a different style on how they like to set up the bow. Um, I, for me, it's 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 honestly it's pretty straightforward it's like the the kiss method you know keep it simple stupid it's like just get the rest on there get the set on there um obviously i think sight leveling is something that's huge that a lot of you know there's there's good products out there now that help you level your sight but i am shocked at how many bows we get sent to us where you know they got a 
three four hundred dollar site and it's not even close to level yeah. um, you know and that makes a huge difference i mean you can make you can execute the most perfect shot in the world but if, if you're aiming uphill at 30 degrees and your third axis isn't set like you're gonna miss significantly right or left um and i think that's you know that's something that at the bow rack like wayne and everybody who works there like we take a lot of pride in just and if you're going to spend the money on on a bow and and these sites i mean you know as well as i do nothing in this sport is cheap yeah. um, and so if you're going to spend the money on that site like why would why would a shop not take the time to make sure you're going to get the most out of it you know um because yeah, you can just be banging your head against the wall. If your third axis isn't set right, you're going to, you know, miss left uphill and right downhill or vice versa. Um, and you think it's the tune of the bow and this and that, and it's not. It's just, you know, <laughs> your levels aren't on. Um, so I, I take a lot of time, you know, setting my, my first, second, and third axis, depending on the site. Yeah, not yeah. every site has a first, second, and third axis. But, um, yeah, so I do that. And then, and then I just shoot it. I mean just getting used to a bow and, and spending the time with it and making sure that, you know, um, every bow likes a little bit different arrow. Like if you're, let's say you're a 29 inch draw length and you know, you've been shooting an axis 300 for the last five years out of the bow you have, and you get a new bow and that for whatever reason, even though, you know, shot good through paper and your sight is leveled and all that, but it's just not shooting as well you might need to try a little bit different spine or cut your arrow a little bit shorter or add a little more point weight. Um, every cam system puts a different amount of flex into an arrow and it, it takes a little, little bit of time to figure all that stuff out. Um, but I can't, even, I have like a graveyard of arrows in my house of just like, I don't even know how many <laughs> hundreds of arrows, you know, uh, from over the years where it's like I got a new bow and the arrows I had don't really work with it so I went with a different dozen or you know different brand or weight or whatever um, spine and yeah yeah do you kind of have certain specs you like to have for your arrow like a certain FOC or a certain weight or length or things like that yeah so for me uh, you know I have a 30 inch draw length um, and I, I usually shoot 70 to 75 pounds like on my math I'm shooting 75 um, so I, what I have found works really well for my setup is an arrow somewhere in that like 475 to 510 grain range. Um, and then with, with the FOC, so this is where target archery kind of really helps me out. Um, generally speaking, like once I find an arrow that shoots really well, meaning I've, you know, I've started long with it and you know with a set amount of front and then i'll i'll cut the arrow down a little bit a little bit a little bit and see you know where it groups best um usually i end up somewhere in that like 12 to 15 16 percent foc um and that came from my target archery days where uh with target archery a lot of the points are glue in mm -hmm. so like with hot melt so you know you can pull them cut the shaft re you know re-glue the tip in um and a lot of the guys over the years as you're doing that what you're really doing is manipulating the dynamic spine of the arrow so how that arrow is reacting on the rest um during the shot process and eventually you will find a spine that is uh, uh, well i should say a combination of 
the length of the arrow and the weight on the end of the arrow that is the most forgiving. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean it's going to take a, a you know, 12 inch group to a two inch group, but you're going to, you're going to eliminate that one flyer where maybe it was, you know, a, a three inch miss and now it's an inch and a half miss. Um, your setup, your, the spine of the arrow kind of bails you out on your bad shots. Um, and over the years, a lot of the, you know, like pros that I've shot with, when they're done building that arrow and they find that arrow that works really well, and this is just talking about flight characteristics. Um, usually they're in that same FOC range, somewhere in that like 12, 13, 14, 15%. Um, the hard part of that is there's no like, there's no definitive answer for what is the best FOC because it's all going to depend on your draw length, your draw weight, the cam system on your bow. Like there's, there's so many factors that go into it. Um, and it's not, like I said, it's not something that's going to, take your group inches at 80 yards um but it, it can help with arrow flight and and then that when you do something stupid and it's like basketball like it's when you shoot a basketball you know if it's in or out like yeah. as soon as that ball leaves your hand you know if it's good or not on the shots where you know it's bad a, a correctly spined arrow is gonna you know not be as bad as you thought it was gonna be um, so yeah, sorry. I kind of went on a tangent there, but no, no, you're good. No, no, I like, yeah, I, I tend to agree with pretty much everything you said. I mean, I get plenty of guys that come in there and the whole new thing now, or at least it seems like it is, is the super heavy arrows to so the six, 700 grain plus arrows. Yeah. And yeah, that's not really my thing. So no, I, I always use the analogy. It's like, you know, it's like using an elephant gun on a gopher. Like, yeah, it'll kill it better than shit, but you don't need it. <laughs> like, uh, and I'm not, you know, I've, I've read the Ashby report. He did a lot of great research. Um, and yeah, I, I understand the math. Like a heavy, a heavy, heavy arrow is going to carry momentum mm-hmm. than a light arrow. Um, but Kinetic energy, kinetic energy is on a bell curve, right? So if you increase the speed but decrease the weight too much, you lose kinetic energy. If you increase the weight but decrease the speed too much, you lose kinetic energy. So, you know, th- again, there's no exact science to it when it comes to, like, this is the weight of an arrow you should shoot. Um, <laughs> it's totally dependent on your, on your setup. And, uh, you know, I've... I'm not going to like name any names, but there's some people out there that really promote the heavy arrows and the stuff they post on their Instagram. It's like, you know, they show a picture of a deer that got shot through like the, like it's forearms and it's like, Oh, broke both its legs. (laughs) It's like, well, you could have just hit it behind the shoulder. Like you were supposed to, you probably would have died. Like, um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I just like that medium ground. Right. It's like, you want an arrow that's got good trajectory and good speed, and it's still going to hit hard when it when it you know hits the animal. Um, I'm not going to tell anybody to shoot a 350 grain arrow for hunting. I'm also not going to tell anybody to shoot a 700 grain arrow for hunting. Um, you know, I I think the sweet range is in that like 460 to 550 range. It seems to be you know that that's the sweet spot for at least North, North American game. So, yeah, I, I think right now my arrows are right around 490, going like 
280. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. everywhere I end up. Yeah, dude. That I mean, that's that's like perfect. <laughs> like that. I mean, it's moving fast. It's going to hit hard. It's going to carry its momentum. I mean, that's yeah. I think that's spot on right there. Yeah, that's usually what I tell people when they ask about arrow weight. I'm like, let's find one that's going to ingest somewhere between 265 to 285, somewhere in there. Yep. But yep. Do you? Uh, another thing recently has been kind of the whole like clocking your arrows to left and right helical. Do you do that, or you just stick with right and left? Man, yeah. So that's I. So that's I, I made it a while back. Um, my. The strings that I was shooting at the time naturally rotated the arrow to the left. Uh-huh. So I fleshed up six arrows with the left helical, left my other six arrows with the right helical. Um, I did not notice any measurable difference in group size. You know, I was shooting them at 60 yards. Um, I, it's up for debate. Like Lancaster Archery made a, a video on it where they, you know, slow mode arrows coming out of the bow and. <laughs> it might not start rotating. Like if, if it naturally rotates to the left and you put a right helical on the arrow, it might take, I don't know, six or seven inches before it starts rotating to the right versus left. But it's not like it starts to the left and then it doesn't like start left and then have to overcorrect back to the right. Like it just sticks straight for six or seven inches and then it starts rotating to the right. Um, Kyle Douglas, who, you know, he's a, he owns a shop down in, uh, in Utah. He's one, I mean, he's probably the hottest pro archer on the, on the planet right now. He's just winning everything. He wants Vegas back to back. Um, he shoots a right helical. His bow probably rotates to the left. I'm, I'm assuming you know, most strings twist up to the right. And that, that's what determines which way your, you know, your arrow, uh, spins is like the direction it is serving and your yep. string is twisted. Um, and yeah, he's won everything there is to win with a right level. So I, I don't know how much it matters. Um, I think if you're one of those OCD people who just wants to be sure that everything is absolutely perfect, but, um, if that's the direction your bow spins zero, uh, yeah, but I've, I've honestly, I've never put too much, you know, like credence into that it's just kind of it's like yeah right or left i mean the, the left helical did hit a little bit to the right of the right helical but the group size wasn't any different you know um so, yeah i just don't really i don't put too much credence in that i think it's you're really yeah. splitting at that point you know yeah, you're better I off spending yeah. time the way i've heard it explained to me is like if you imagine like you're on a, a tight rope and there's a light breeze to the left, that would be the natural throw. And then there's a truck pulling you to the right. And those are your veins. The, the veins are going to win every time. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it matters too much, but, um, but yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. We've covered a lot of boat tuning stuff. Oh, so you're just, good. A couple, just a couple questions that I want to ask every game before I get them off. Here's one for a, a book recommendation. Reading is something that I like to do quite often. So is there a book you kind of always go back to? Uh, Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> no. <laughs> no uh, man, I've, I've read some good books. Um, on, if you're a history buff, 
and this isn't like a self-help book or anything, but if you like history, uh, Undaunted Courage. Um, it's like a very detailed account of Lewis and Clark and their whole journey. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's crazy to think what they went through. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's a great read. Um, from where the sun now stands, that's another one. That's, that's not more of like a native American history book. Yeah. Uh, and then we can throw all the, you know, endure from campaigns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good book. I just read that a few months ago. <laughs> yeah. We can throw those out there. Um, yeah. I like those books. Nice. And then one more question. Who's a, who's a guest you think I should have on? Somebody you think has a good story, inspiring story, who can educate, something like that. Uh, Corey Miller. Corey Miller's great. He was, he owned Triple uh, X Archery up in, um, well, I guess technically it's Washington, but it's like right over the Oregon border. Uh, and he was a sales rep, still is a sales rep for Black Eagle and Dart and Archery. Um, he's a hell of an accomplished hunter. Um, just one of those guys that's been in the industry for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, he's got a lot of good things to say. I, I always respect his, his knowledge and his opinion on things. And, uh, yeah, I think he'd be, he'd be a good guy to, to talk to just about, just about the industry. I mean, this is such a weird industry that we're in. I mean, it's, it's one of the only things that grew exponentially during COVID. <laughs> um, and you know, he's been a part of all that. And he's got, yeah. He's got a lot of, a lot of really good things to say. And, uh, Super nice guy. So, yeah, Corey Miller. I think he, if you uh, reach out to like Black Eagle, I know he's a he's a Black Eagle rep. He's the Tartan rep. Um, I think he. Well, I know he just moved to Montana. Um, they're moving to the, like a new house. Okay. Today tomorrow. Um, but he's, yeah, he's an awesome resource. Nice. I'll have to check him out. I think I know who you're talking about. The name sounds familiar. So. Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> Cool, man. Well, before I let you go, how can uh, how can people find you? Oh, uh, yeah. So we're on uh, Instagram and YouTube. Uh, on Instagram, it's inside underscore out underscore precision. Uh, if you go on YouTube, it's just inside out precision. Um, you know, we we try to post weekly. Sometimes that gets sometimes that gets backed up a little bit. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I could probably be more active on Instagram than I am. I just, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Cool, man. And then the bow rack is in Springfield, Oregon, right? Yeah. Yeah. The bow rack at Springfield, Oregon. Um, they're on Instagram just at the bow rack. Um, Wayne and Lisa are awesome. They're, a, you know, they've been married for, I don't know, 20 some years now. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing, amazing shop. i I really encourage everybody if you're in the area to swing by there and check it out because it's one of a kind. <laughs> cool, man. Well, it was great talking to you. Great actually getting to actually talk to you. I've seen a bunch of your videos and definitely been a huge help for me learning how to work on bows and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, anything else you want to touch on before we get you out of here? Uh, not really. I so, do, you, do you own a shop? I don't own a shop, so I'm uh, just the Bowtech at Impact Archery in Las Vegas, at least for oh, another nice. week. By the time this podcast comes out, I'll actually be 
moved down to Arizona. So oh, really? trying to get in touch with some of the shops around here. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man. I mean, if you need any, you know, recommendations or whatever down in Arizona, let us know. Wayne, Wayne knows everybody under the sun. So Perfect. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. It's good talking with you. And you have a good night. You too. See ya. All right, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Kellen. I know I certainly did. Um, Kellen, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on. Um, hopefully we can get you on again at some point. Um, but again, if you guys want to check out the podcast social media, it's barely underscore backcountry underscore podcast on Instagram. And my personal is c.dillashaw. But that kind of covers it for this week, and I'll see you guys next week.